0: Welcome to Searching the Sacred. I'm Jason Stephan-Hagen,
1: I'm Steph Spencer, and I'm Lisa Adams.
0: We are hosting conversations about scripture for the curious doubters and hope seekers. We're inviting people to ask different questions, questions asked by those who have been wounded and hurt, questions asked by those who have deconstructed and are looking for a reconstruction. We're creating space for love, kindness, justice, and curiosity. We will wrestle, we will question, we will dance, we will dream, we will wonder, we will be frustrated, and we will hope. We aren't searching for singular answers or solutions. We are searching the sacred. Well, hello, and welcome to Searching the Sacred. We're in season three, and we're excited that you are joining us. And for this episode, we have a special guest. Sarah Nichols is joining us. And being that she is known best by Steph and Lisa, I'll let Steph do the introduction formally.
2: Well, um, I have known Sarah for uh, six years, I think, somewhere around those uh, lines, and uh, was lucky enough to get to know her when she came into the 40 Archers community. And now she's actually one of our uh, teachers. We really uh, trust the way that she sees scripture um. She's got some really great Hebrew insights um, and is really fun to see step into that role. So um, maybe, Sarah, what would you say about yourself that you want the listeners to know?
3: Sure. Um, Well, I have a a master's in theology, um, and I've been a pastor. But I would say that studying scripture in this way, like we do with 40 Orchards, has by far been the most transformative experience of my life. And because of that, it has become my favorite way of teaching. Um, And so I just, I love being a part of this community and opening up the scriptures in this way to anybody who wants to hear it. We're excited to have your voice in the room today. Thanks.
0: And you are not alone in this form of midrash and wrestling with the text asking better questions being a transformative experience i know that's kind of my story too with 40 orchards and so we're in good company today and we're excited to see where a study of first kings chapter 19 takes us and so lisa's gonna get us started with verse one uh
1: so this is out of the people's bible uh which is a translation of in the nrsv ahab told jezebel all that elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid. He got up and fled for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. He left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a solitary broom tree. He asked that he might die. It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. Then he lay down under the broom tree and fell asleep. Suddenly, an angel touched him and said to him, Get up and eat. He looked, and there at his head was a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. He ate and drank and lay down again. The angel of the Lord came a second time, touched him, and said, Get up and eat. Otherwise, the journey will be too much for you. He got up and ate and drank. Then he went in the strength of that food for forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the Mount of God.
4: Well,
2: um, this it's fun that that last verse ends with number forty, as we're called forty orchards for a reason. We see forty a lot in the text. Um, but what I was what struck me at first was this question of um, verse one of like Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. I was thinking about like, what do we want the next part of the sentence to be if we're Elijah? <laughs> like when that when somebody told, tells somebody about what we have done, how do we want them to respond to that thing? Um, I don't know why that captured me this time, but I'm thinking, Yeah, what do we hope for in those kind of moments when people are hearing about our actions? How do we hope they respond to our actions?
0: Well, I know I want people framing things kindly, politely, putting my, you know, like I'm not I'm not putting my best foot forward in that moment, but I hope someone else is helping me put my best foot forward, not making me into the villain of the story that they're trying to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know that that's what's about to happen here, like we just read, mm-hmm. um, and how out of control that is. And so there's a there's kind of a helpless feeling, I guess, in that too.
2: I'm thinking of Hamilton. Sarah and I are both Hamilton fans. <laughs> we used to talk about that. But like the who lives, who dies, who tells your story, like how much we're not in control of the stories other people tell or how they respond to what we've done and how hard that is to hold. So in Elijah's case, what he had just done just to frame up where we are in time and space is that we're in a time period in Northern Israel where things are really abundant. And as a part of the abundance, they have forgotten about God, essentially. And so three years ago, God sent a drought as a way to try to kind of wake the people up there. One of the things that made the Northern kingdom of Israel abundant was they had a it's a really fertile land for growing wheat and crops and so this drought was sent very particularly by elijah to ahab and the northern kingdom saying wake up like follow god again after 3 years elijah then in 1st kings 18 has this showdown on mount carmel that's a rather famous passage with the prophets of baal to say okay you make it rain and they can't make it rain and um and elijah does by the end he has this showdown with the prophets the rain comes and it's and the whole thing like it's just really clear that elijah has won and so if you're elijah and you have like you have survived the drought you've shown that your god is real the prophets of baal are not real the rain has come like what are you hoping first kings 19 is like you're hoping it's
3: celebration yeah what kind of celebration sarah like just that everybody turns back to God and there's gratefulness for the rain and that the drought is over and just all those things
2: yeah I mean because that's even like even if you take Elijah's ego out of it you want it to be a celebration for the people look we're all back on track we're all following God again the rain has come like our crops are going to be okay our faith is good like let's have a festival and here we are Here's how the story is getting told. There's not a festival, there's not a celebration of Elijah, nor is the celebration of the people. There's what? A manhunt. <laughs> <laughs> a death threat and a manhunt.
0: I mean, it it not to jump into like like speculation or anything, but it it has a, a, a very strong odor of somebody who feels like their power is being threatened. And that's what's really at at a loss here. That. The loss of crops, the loss of, you know, food and all that was one thing, but to imagine losing power is like a whole nother level. Um, And Jezebel and Ahab can't handle the mere fact that they aren't going to be the ones in charge, seemingly. Right.
2: Okay and that especially when we think about these two characters we can think of their two names if when we are thinking about Ahab and Jezebel one well, Elijah's name too but we think about the meanings of names so Ahab is is a name about a father or possibly father's brother and there's a way you can kind of he- feel that from Ahab there's a little bit of a wrestle about this following God scenario Jezebel is the Phoenician princess that he married as a part of bringing stability to the region. This is the other reason it's complicated in this time of history, is Ahab is a very politically smart king. God's gotten lost, but he's doing a lot of good things to build alliances with these kingdoms around them that has kept them safe. So that's what part of the prosperousness. So one of those alliances has been by marrying Jezebel. Jezebel's name has Baal in it. So all of those prophets that were just slain, all of that showdown that was just lost, her very name is Baal exalts or Baal's hus- uh, husband. Um, Baal is my husband. You can It could be either, but either way, she's very tied to Baal who just lost. And so how is this, to Jason's point, now a story that is about power and what happens when power is threatened? Lisa, you've been deep in thought over there.
1: Oh, I was just thinking about all this. Like, this story has lots of like, um, how do I want, like, things like Flash. (laughs) It's got lots of common things that like, when you read it, you're like, oh, I feel like I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that before. Oh, I've heard that before so I was thinking about all those things while trying to like take in the context of um I don't know like who is Jezebel and it's interesting that it's a
4: woman with so much power um not a godly woman in terms of you know, <laughs> but like she has a lot of power mm-hmm.
2: Um which yeah. is a moment of scripture where you're like, darn it, this would be such a good time for that woman to use her power better. <laughs> and because it becomes, once again, like when people think about women in the Bible who have recognizable names, there's so many women we've forgotten and people talk about a woman being a Jezebel.
4: Mm-hmm.
2: Her story is remembered and her story and the way that she's interacting here is part of the story of how women are held and remembered. Right. Makes me kind of mad at her. Jezebel, do
4: better,
0: <laughs> but maybe that's where we need to like, like, pause. And maybe even, I mean, I, I'm the last person that should probably put myself in her shoes. But like, if I'm a woman in that time period and I'm coming from a different country and I have this name that is reflective of a worship of a certain god and that god is defeated, then maybe the reaction of Jezebel, although we've culturally characterized it as like don't be a Jezebel whatever maybe it's like the most natural reaction and we could have some empathy like maybe she's feeling at her most vulnerable most backed into a corner like am i about to lose all power like like if i was good for political gain and now i'm not then is death what's next for me is servitude what's like i don't know where i go from here and so we got to take the head of the snake off otherwise i'm i'm done for like i i'm just trying to like imagine all the i guess healthy reasons why jezebel would want to be so angry i don't know
3: you know we should, go ahead sarah we shouldn't be surprised that she's doing this i mean it fails in her name and really the the bigger villain is ahab for having married her in the first place like he's not supposed to be making these kind of political alliances even though from a worldly perspective they make sense that's not what israel's supposed to be about so um he's he's caused a problem by bringing her in in the first place that shouldn't have even been a thing Mm -hmm.
1: and and he's like he's also the one that's underneath this like he set up a whole thing and now he's coming to jezebel saying like he stirs it up and right and he's the party you don't notice him you're paying attention to Jezebel but like Ahab's actually the mover under here
2: right Mm -hmm. right he was there at Mount Carmel and now he's telling why is he telling Jezebel like he's the king like he's doing some Mm -hmm. Ahab's not innocent in all of this And what is he going for? And I love the empathy of, I think it's such a great way to read scripture. Can we find ourselves in all of the characters? Can we find empathy for Jezebel and like how it feels to have your power threatened, especially if you're somebody who hasn't, who's not a part of a group that's usually had power. And so Jezebel's in that spot. Can we have, can we see ourselves as Ahab sort of stirring the pot and saying, okay, I'm not sure where I want to land. By the way, 1 Kings 18 has this, a rather famous verse of like, why are you um, stop hopping from one to another? If Baal is God, follow him. If, if our God is God, follow him. I think we referenced that actually in our bonus episode. So that happened in the showdown, but you can see that Ahab's still hopping. Like in the beginning of first Kings 19, he's sort of hopping back to Jezebel after having been with Ah a, like he's sort of with Elijah on the mountain, like, all right, I got it. Now he's hopping back to Jezebel. And how are we like that? How are, how do we keep hopping? How do we have trouble sort of staying on a path and how are we like Elijah?
1: Okay. Well, how do we sidle up to power? <laughs> like how do we protect ourselves?
2: Mm-hmm. There's a little bit of like when, Oh, Oh, it's just me and Elijah up on the mountain. I'll be nice to Elijah. And now it's just me and Jezebel and I'll be nice to Jezebel and how is that a way that we protect ourselves and our power and our relationships?
0: Well, and it, it kind of screams of like, what values does Ahab actually have? Like, does he have a value of taking care of the people? Does he have a value of being a benevolent leader? Does he have a value of being a loyal husband? Does he have a value of, um, understanding his history and the God that has provided for the people for generations upon generations. Like who is this person? Because if if that is who you're rooted in, if you're rooted in specific values or principles or or a lineage or whatever, then you you don't do as much hopping because you you have clarity, right? And so if if he was like I'm the king of these people. And I may have made mistakes, certain alliances, treaties, I thought I was doing the best I could, but I messed it up. And like, man, Elijah, I see what God's up to. I'm on board. Or you know what? I'm a married man. I'm loyal to my wife, regardless, like I'm, I'm going that direction. Like, then you tell Elijah right away, sorry, I don't care if this altar gets burned up or not. Like, we're going this direction. Like, I mean, he's just so wishy-washy. And I mean, it, it, sorry, I'm gonna make a modern reference. It sounds very Politiciany that like politicians will say one thing when it seems like maybe politically advantageous for them, but then suddenly they're kissing the ring of the very thing they say they're against because it's actually politically advantageous for them now. And it's like, well, what morals or values or principles are you actually standing on? Because I don't know who, who you are anymore. Um, and and it, it gets really, uh, really dicey, really fast to to
2: find trust. It's it's a great comparison, Jason, because that, I would say that is what we see as the guiding force of Ahab, is whatever the politically advantageous thing to do, that is the path that he takes. Um, And so what if that's his guiding force? And what do you do if that's the guiding force? Sarah, what are you thinking about right I just, now?
3: Because you already referenced Hamilton. He's, he's Burr, like in, <laughs> in the Hamilton story, like Burr Always sits back and waits to see like what's going to be the most politically advantageous. And he never wants his actual opinion out there because he wants to make sure he ends up on the right side. Yeah, okay. he's, he's does Aaron this look like Elijah
1: is is Hamilton <laughs> and Ahab is Burr? Except for the fact that
0: it's as if Ahab it, it's Aaron Burr, but in the position of uh, George Washington. Right? I mean, it's it's not yes. It's not the, the secretary yeah. or the vice president or whatever. It's the yeah. actual president. It's the king. It's the one who can make all the changes in the world, can set trajectory, can shape a nation, can shape worship. You know, I mean, that's the power of the king. And and yet, here we go. Like, we're, we're playing this hip hop, you know, bounce around role. <laughs> so unfortunate.
1: I was thinking about, like, kings and the just the setting up of like what people expect from their king. And so it's interesting to think of, again, that expectation that people want a king who will be their warrior, who will go in front of them, that will like win everything. And in some ways, like we're seeing again, a king that is not, kings don't do actually the thing that everybody wanted them to do. They just, they aren't capable. (laughs) So we have like these really, we have these expectations of leaders i think it falls into the categories of pastors for us too we have these expectations of like what they will do for us and that's not actually like they don't do that and god like god warns everybody like if you have a king they're going to take and they're going to take they're going to take some more and everybody's like nope want a king want a king you know, so I was and just he, thinking like, how is he taking, how is he taking from the people in this, what he's doing right now?
0: And and yet there is instruction and I think it's Deuteronomy 19, but we have instructions for what the King is supposed to be. I mean, it, it, God like foresaw this moment so far in advance, right. To like actually instruct the people, like when you want a King, this is what it should be like. And then generations later, they finally get to that point, And then we don't see any of them doing any of those things that are listed there, and, and it, I, you know so to Lisa's point, I think it's really, really brilliant that like, if leaders like got down to like, what they're supposed to be and actually held to that and held to those things, then we might see different things play out, like from a pastoral perspective, from a leadership perspective. But so often we don't actually go to those sources or to our roots and figure out, like, okay, now that I'm in this role, who am I actually supposed to be?
2: Mm-hmm. which is a bit why you have Elijah coming along. So the prophet really comes onto the scene. There's there's some prophets before this point, but Elijah is one of the first prophets during this time of kings when there's a Northern kingdom of Israel and a Southern kingdom of Judah, where as a part of the power balance, there's these prophetic voices that come and speak to the king, speak to the people and say like, hey, let's get back on track. Um, and the question is always, Who's going to listen? Is the king gonna listen? Are the people gonna listen? Is nobody gonna listen? But that, but God is sending prophets as a way of saying, okay, remember who you are. Let's let's follow. And so then we can think about maybe a little bit of Elijah. What is it to be a prophet in a time period of kings and to have a role like Elijah had of sort of saying, you know, hey, there's gonna be a drought and then there's a drought. How do people feel about prophets who say there's gonna be a drought and then there's a drought? Now I'm thinking about we don't talk about Bruno.
1: <laughs> <laughs> everything in another movie. <laughs> this should be, Lin Manuel in our ears for days. <laughs> right, another Lin Manuel Miranda movie, but
2: but right, this idea that like prophets aren't always loved for their role. Are
1: they ever loved? Is there a <laughs> beloved prophet? Eh,
2: maybe Samuel <laughs> before there's a king. Yeah.
0: I was about to say Jesus, but then I remember he got crucified. (laughs) I love him, but yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, I think on the other side of history, we can look back at the prophets and think of them as highly regarded, but when you're the actual people in the moment, their message usually doesn't sound very
2: hopeful. Yeah. Well, cause you're speaking truth to power. So if we think about people trying to speak to truth to power in the modern day, like how does that go? Right. How does power feel about being put in its place?
3: Right. Not great. I mean, like again, a modern day example. I mean, we all look at like Martin Luther King Jr with high regard and as a prophet of his time. And yet again, he got killed for what he was saying. And because he upset people, but now, you know, 40, 50 years later, whatever, we're all like, oh my gosh, he was such a great prophet. But at the time yeah. people didn't, that wasn't, there wasn't a
2: consensus on that at the time. Yeah. I think those such interesting statistics about like the how hated he was I don't remember what the number was but they they actually like have some data about like what people thought of him at the time and it was not the positive regard that it is in hindsight particularly from people in power who had something to lose from his message
0: well yeah even the what is it the election of Kennedy like swung because the southern democrats were traditionally not supportive of Race relation, like healthy racial dynamics, and then they swung the other way because it it flipped the election. And so, even though we all value like Kennedy and and the trajectory of that presidency and and then after the fact, it wasn't born out of uh goodwill per se. It was also born out of political expediency and winning an election. And so, there's a lot of messiness there. Um, and that, I think really gets at the the heart of uh. What Sarah's saying that that uh you know even our, the prophet at the time when they were embraced wasn't always for the best reasons.
2: Mm-hmm. And what that helps us do with a passage like this is remember that these are still humans, and these are still politicians. Like it was a different politic, it was different time period, but there's there is a lot that we can resonate with of like what happens with power, what happens when power is threatened, and so that takes us to like what Jezebel does which is in verse two. And I'm wondering what we hear and what she says. So my translation says, so let the gods do uh, to me and more also if I make not your life as the
1: life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. It's really easy to understand when you read it like that. That was reading from King James. Everybody
0: listening is like, wait, what century do we find ourselves
2: in? I actually changed the i to your
1: there because I was trying to fix it as I was reading it. And it was probably just too late. (laughs) Maybe someone read something other than King James. No, I don't think it's a grammatically easy. Like because of how it's translated, it makes me think of like, it's actually probably complex in the Hebrew because it doesn't flow well. And anytime something doesn't flow well, I have to stop and think like, well, what is happening here? because lots of times it reads just fine and here that is not
4: an easy like wait what what is she doing i mean is this where like something like the nlt or the niv
0: is helpful to like try to get a little bit better flow or and i know we're not actually answering the question about jezebel at this point we're asking more of a translation question but that's part of what this podcast provides people is a little bit of an understanding of how to read their bible and maybe what translations are helpful, but. You know, if I look up the NLT, it makes it a whole lot plainer in the way that it navigates it. It's, you know, "May the gods strike me and kill me by this time tomorrow, if I have not killed you just as you killed them," speaking of the prophets of, of Baal that uh, were killed by Elijah the day before, or you know but recently. do they,
1: But do they think of them as gods or as prophets? Because like the way that she says it, it sounds like she's saying like gods. So let the gods do
2: to me.
0: Yeah, both translations say that. Okay,
1: Sarah,
2: yes. call on you. What do you have when you think about the Hebrew? Lisa's bringing up
3: the Hebrew. Yeah, so she's right. The Hebrew is really clunky, and really <laughs> difficult to translate. Um, I've got it up and looking at it right now. Um, I mean. I think the the translators are doing the best they can with a pretty clunky chunk of Hebrew here. But one of the things that really stands out to me is that the word nephesh is used here. So it's not necessarily talking about like his body, but his soul um, is probably the best. Soul is the best translation I think we have, but nefesh also kind of gets at more than what we tend to think of as just like a soul that leaves our body it's like it's all of us like the whole of our our being so both our physical body and our soul maybe in some and the essence of who we are as a person okay is so the,
0: is that the word where the translators are using the word life like if i do not take your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow
2: yes and it's yeah. a nefesh okay. if i do not make your nefesh as one of their nefesh by this time tomorrow, right? Um, and so nefesh, just to sort of keep rounding out what Sarah's bringing us to, that's the word for people familiar with Genesis 2, 7, that when when Adam is formed from the dust of the of the ground, the human becomes a living nefesh. And so what is it to become a living nefesh starts to get at this thing of it's not just our bodies, nor is it just our spirits, um, it's our being, it's our Um, it's, it's what makes us who we are. And Jezebel is saying, I'm going to make the whole of who you are as them. And so what's in that and all of the clunky Hebrew around it, like what kind of thread is that? One of the ways I'm thinking about is this conversation we just had about power grabs, like what happened to those that he just battled with?
4: What happened to their beings?
1: Not good stuff.
0: (laughs) Well, he didn't just kill them for being like, you know, prophets of like a quote unquote false god or something. Like it, it was that they were proven through this dynamic mountaintop expression to be without any power. Like nothing happened no matter what they did and elijah exposes it laughs at it makes fun of it and then with like the simplest of prayers does the very thing that they've been like literally dying for and and so he exposes them to the point where like they've lost all dignity at some level in their priesthood and then he kills them (laughs) i mean
1: okay but like okay okay but like he kills them
0: i know that's a problem i'm i'm hearing yeah. myself say it
1: <laughs> right there it is problematic what he has done and i would question like so when i'm reading the passage i am noticing that it's not god didn't say go do that unless i'm missing it i could miss it but it looks like he just makes that decision and I wonder, even if like how he like. I mean, we kind of like to keep him in like really great spaces, but what if he like that was not a good choice, and he's feeling the some of the pain of that.
2: Okay, as we did some of that work of like humanizing Jezebel, we can also humanize Elijah and be like, "Huh his 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 hands aren't all the way clean. He did it. we did, we First Kings eighteen might not have just been him being the hero." And how does that affect how he's hearing this, what Jezebel is saying? How does it affect what Jezebel is saying that he did go that far, that he did go to that point of not of exposing them and humiliating them and murdering them? And what does that mean for where he is now and what's being said to him of like, I'm going to make your soul as their souls?
4: That's,
1: I don't think that's how, what God wants us all to be doing.
0: And this is a big thing that just happened because there were like 450 prophets of Baal. So we're not talking a small number of people. And we're, and when it says like, don't let any of them escape. Well, 450 people trying to escape would probably do so unless you had a massive group of people to keep them from escaping. So Elijah's, apparently there's a lot of witnesses to this and they're seeing a whole thing happen and maybe it's not just him doing this but it's also him eliciting the passion of a crowd which would carry its own mm-hmm. sense of guilt if you're the one charging people up to do something you know this uh you know this this terrible
1: it makes you wonder like what the role of the prophet is like when is it enough when is too far When, like, I mean, I think that's the danger for any of us is for a moment you have power. What do you do when you have the power? Hey
0: everyone, it's Jason. And we're gonna continue this episode in just a moment. But before we do, I wanted to let you know, we are starting a Patreon page. Patreon is a site for people to give a monthly donation for the work of a podcast or other creative endeavor. And so you can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you can search Searching the Sacred, and then sign up to become a follower and to donate on a monthly basis. That could be as small as $1 a month, $5 a month, $10 a month, or more. Whatever you think works for your life and for the work that we're doing, we would appreciate any support that you can give us so that we can continue to put this podcast out there and to continue to do this work. We are grateful to do it. If you're curious about an easier way to get to this site, we will have... Uh, a link in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Thank you for being with us on this journey. Thanks for being a part of this community, and we look forward to much, much more.
2: Okay, and maybe how Elijah wielded that power in First Kings eighteen is a part of why Jezebel is saying this in First Kings nineteen. Like, could it could this have gone differently if Elijah had wielded that power differently? Um, we don't know. But how he did wield that power is a part of what got us to this moment, which is a pretty significant thing that Jezebel is saying to him. Um, Maybe it means death, but maybe it means more than death. Maybe it means I'm gonna, you're gonna be publicly humiliated, like all of these things that you've just put me and my prophets through. It's now gonna happen to you.
0: And maybe part of his fear and, and desire to run is because he sees this, a similar evil within him and wonders like, well, if it came for them, why couldn't that come for me? You know? And, um, that would be pretty scary to like suddenly see yourself and in, in your enemy.
2: Ooh, um, Jason, you're taking us to verse three really well because of, um, how you just said that. So say that again.
0: It'd be pretty scary to see yourself and your enemy.
2: So verse three, our translations say, my translation says, then he was afraid. Anybody's translation have anything different than that?
1: And when he saw that, but the, that is in ital, like italics.
2: Okay. So our translators are having a question about verse three. Is, is Elijah afraid or is
4: Elijah seeing? Sarah, can I put
2: you on the spot to say a little bit about that? Sure. (laughs) So
3: the word is the same word. And it can be translated either as fear or as seeing. And the way you can go with it for seeing is like discerning. So it can be a literal scene or it can be a figurative scene. um, Which I just think has some really cool implications. Like... Is he afraid or is he perceiving something?
2: And to Jason's point, if he's perceiving something, is he perceiving it about the moment? Is he perceiving it about Jezebel? Is he perceiving it about himself? Okay.
4: Hmm.
2: What is he seeing? And what is he afraid of? What if we translate it in both ways?
4: <laughs> it makes me think about
1: Um, I was thinking about, I don't know if it matters (laughs) if it's a good truth or a bad truth, but when we, when we notice a truth about ourselves, that how much fear that can bring, like when suddenly you're, you see something true about yourself, like sometimes it's like, even in a good thing, it's like, oh, I wish I would have seen that earlier. (laughs)
4: Like,
1: how did I miss that? And then when it's hard things like I don't know, like I just there's something about seeing and fear that feels really, um, like
4: linked. And maybe well, if like it's about you-, you.
0: I love that Lisa because if it's about you, or if it's about like me, right? Then until I see it, I'm not afraid of it. Like I'm not afraid of my own actions unless I actually see them as a pro a, a problem. Otherwise, I'm just I'm fine with my actions because I'm not like you know they're they're usually not a problem. Um but if you like point out that your actions are a problem and I see that they are, I like look at it, like observe it, that's scary. Like, oh, I didn't know that was in me and I've been doing that for a while. You know, like um you know like I've it's been pointed out to me by um the most you know, the person I love the most in the world, my wife, but like that sometimes I don't always speak the kindest to the boys, right? Um as a dad, and it was like no of course not i'm always like kind i'm all and then like one time i heard myself and i was like whoa oh, i got some work here and it, it's not just i need to be a nice dad like i'm a really nice dad it's like oh i th- they get under my skin and then i let them get under my skin and it comes out in a way that i wouldn't want anyone to talk to them and that
4: is that was kind of scary and so yeah i think seeing it is when it, when it comes to like you, like
0: you have to see it first,
2: yeah, what if Elijah is seeing by this comparison this phrasing of Jezebel's statement like i it makes me think of this annoying question of spiritual directors, what's the invitation? <laughs> when things happen, they're like, what's the invitation the <laughs> if we don't want everything to be an invitation, what if we don't want to see? but what if it's an invitation for him to see because now he's she's putting him, I'm gonna do to you what you did to them. Well, what if that means he's now seeing? Oh, golden rule. I don't want to be treated like I treated them.
4: Yeah, there it is.
2: Oh, maybe I'm now. Maybe I'm replaying what happened yesterday a little differently by the phrasing of that, and maybe that's what I'm seeing, and maybe that's what I'm afraid of.
1: Well, as that verse goes on, is that same life? Is that nafesh again? Like he runs for his life.
2: Mm -hmm. and the four can be towards so we we could say it that uh, when he saw he arose and went towards his nefesh
4: or for his nefesh
2: and what so where do we think he's running what do we think he's doing
3: Sarah, you have a thought on that? Well, just Robert Alter's translation says he arose and went off to save himself. Um, Which I kind of like that translation because it takes us beyond just the simple that he's running to like, he's in fear of his physical life. But like, there's a different way of saving yourself in this moment, like, like Jason was talking about with his kids, and the, noticing the way he was speaking to his kids, that there's a fear that wants to shift that because you want to save your kids from that. You want to save yourself from being the cause of the, your kids feeling that. And which I think, I mean, I don't think you've been a parent very long if you haven't had those kind of moments because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's just so easy to happen. But um, yeah, I just. I love how the Hebrew just opens it up to just such a, a deeper level of the fear and seeing um, than our traditional way of looking at this verse that he's, well, yeah, anybody would run in fear for their life if they thought they were going to get killed immediately. But the nuance of the Hebrew opens it up to just so many levels yeah. where the fear might be entering in and the, and the need for running for your soul.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: gosh running for your soul
2: and running to save yourself like it makes me curious like where would we run to save ourselves where would we go and elijah as we pause and think about that for how like and how far would we go the the geography of this isn't always clear to us because we're not living there but he was at mount carmel which is in the northern part of the northern kingdom of Israel. And he runs to Beersheba, which is in the southern part of the southern kingdom of Judah. So he essentially runs north to south through the entire country and beyond, because he's a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. He runs down into the south, into the bottom of the south, and into that wilderness space. So, like, how far would we go to try to find our soul or save ourselves? Where do we go?
0: Well, and and geographically, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's like the opposite path of how Israel came to be in that land. Right. So he's going like, they, they came up through the wilderness and went North and now here he is running back South, like traversing the whole expanse, you know, almost reversing the the kingdom in a way.
2: So what do you hear in that Jason of like, what is he running towards or for if he's reversing that journey?
0: I guess what I hear is like, Way back here is where we got the message, and it, and whatever we've done with that message, it led us all the way up here, and we've messed it up so much that here I am, taking everybody out. I've become the thing that I've despised, and I've, I've run way too far, and I've got to get all the way back, and find out who am I, what does it mean to be the, a prophet? Like who? Like you know, I don't even know anymore. Um, you know, it's like when you hear people talk about, like, I just needed to get back to a place where I was known. Like, I got to go back home. Like I got to be, you know, and, and I, I feel like they, he ran too far away.
1: Hmm. Like all of Israel did. Well, I wonder, I also wonder though, like, as he's running, it's interesting that he like gets there and then is like, just take my life here. Hmm. Like you wouldn't have had to run. (laughs) Like, like you could have just stayed. Or like, I don't know, like if you had a choice of the things you were going to do in your last few days, I don't know that like trucking through the like I might choose, like I'm going to go to the lake, I'll go to the, you know, I'll go swim in the Dead Sea or the other, whatever. Um, I, it's curious, I wonder like, because that actually takes some time. Like this, the passage doesn't give us a lot of time, but to run, like, (laughs) it's going to take him a while to go from the north to the south and so like i i just think about all the times i've been um like where i knew i needed to like process or like work through something and it was taking a physical action like that to think about taking it that long and going that far before you get to the point where you're like okay it's like, it's time for a decision, like, or
4: I'm ready for the thing. Um, I just
1: wonder about like, what, what each morning and what each evening, like, what, what was this like, as he was, and somehow there's a servant there, like, somebody's with them, he's not by himself. So I actually wonder too, about like, what conversation like, um, like, he's got a companion that is or servant, I don't know if that's considered a companion. It's a slave. It's somebody he's taking with him, mm-hmm. but it's somebody that's with him. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, it's an interesting question. If we were to go further into the passage and the conversation he has with God, as Elijah feels very alone, and mm-hmm. um, that's what he's going to complain about. But he, it looks like he had a servant that he left there. So, did he feel that companionship or not? But that question of, like, yeah, how far are we willing to go to remember who we were before we got lost? What is it to take that journey and to know when we're ready to talk, to know when we're ready to process something deeper? And I love what he says when he gets there. So he he gets to Beersheba, he leaves a servant there, and he goes one day further in by himself. And at that point, he sits down and he says, it's enough take my nefesh so his prayer to god at this point and it's the specific name of god is that living presence take my nefesh for i am not more tov than my father's so tov is that hebrew word for good And I wonder if what we hear and what he's saying, what is this moment he's gotten, he's traveled this far. And this is the thing he's got to say to God, take my nefesh, I'm
4: not more tov than my father's. What's he releasing? So I
3: think there's at least the possibility for that Elijah, you know, at that moment in Mount Carmel He's literally on the top of the world. He's up on top of this mountain. He's had this amazing success, um, you know, shown God to be the true God and have power over all the other gods and thinking like, it doesn't get better than this as a prophet. Like I just, like everybody just saw what I've been trying to tell them in such a clear fashion that you can't even deny it. But then, but then he realizes that he's not actually any better than anyone who's come before him. And that's a pretty humbling moment. Um, I actually think there's something really cool about the fact that he flees south to the wilderness in this place to be alone with God to address the issue. Mm -hmm. He knows there's
4: a problem. And so he goes to a
2: specific place in order to address it. And he goes to God. When we think about like where he travels, he's not just wandering. He's going here. Why is he going here? So Beersheba is a spot that people have met with God. Before. Like that's that's a place where um, Hagar wandered in Genesis 21. It's a place and God met her there. It's a place where Abimelech and Abram um, made a covenant and God's, God met there. So like Beersheba has come up as a place. And then he goes one day further than that. And then he's gonna, at the end of the verses we read, he's gonna go to Mount Horeb, which is the same as Mount Sinai. So he's like finding places where God speaks. Midbar in Hebrew is um the word for the wilderness. And the root verb of it is Daber, which means to speak. The wilderness is a place where God speaks. So I'm I'm running towards my nephesh, I'm running to save my life. And I go to the wilderness. I'm like God, God, you gotta speak to me in this because this is. Like how are you gonna meet me? It's enough, take my
4: nephesh and i and I think the uh
0: the history that he's referring to, which we don't know exactly what ancestors he's referring to is he is he looking at like recent ancestors like the kings? he's looking at prophetic ancestors like Samuel is he looking at you know all the way back into the time of the judges? he's looking back at you know the Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob time you know, the patriarchal time, like we don't really know exactly what he's referring to there, but at some level, I really appreciate what Sarah's saying where he's in this like crucible moment where he can like seemingly see the turn towards God in a way that has never been done before or, or is returning to something so dynamically beautiful and how could you not think that this is like the moment? And like, it's not that you're better than everyone else. Like it's like a hierarchy of like, who's the best prophet ever, but it's like, like that feeling of like, Oh my goodness. Like I am, I'm the one, I'm the, I'm, I'm part of this thing that is finally happening. And we've been dying for this to happen for generation upon generation going all the way back. And and now I'm, I'm not like, I mean, what a devastating blow to one's identity to, you know, obviously to an ego. um, Yeah. Just to who you think you are.
4: It's, it's
1: always interesting. I think in these places where like, part of me is like, he legit, just like, he prophesied a drought. It happened. He had this huge showdown and like, kind of like winter, like made bad choices, but like, he saw, like, God did some, God did some
4: stuff, like, and even
1: after all that, there's still a person who's, like, 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 needs to go somewhere to hear God, and, like, just feels like, (laughs) it feels actually, like, true, and it's always one of those questions I have of, like, how, We long for for the big signs, but the big signs don't actually give us the clarity that we think they do.
4: Whoa, say that again.
1: I just think about all the times in my life where I want big signs. And the reality is, is that the big signs wouldn't actually do what I want them to do. It's, It's like subverting the work that I need to do for myself.
0: Okay, I just asked you to repeat what you said. You took it a whole nother step deeper.
3: <laughs> it's also interesting because that's where this passage ends up with that whole, like, the conversation between Elijah and God on Mount Sinai where, like, there's the big thunderstorm and that's not where God's voice is and the big wind. And then it's just, it's just in this little whisper of the wind. Like, it's not in the big signs. It's precisely Wait. where we end up.
2: Right. And how do we how do we look for the wrong thing in our lives? Right? How do we end up thinking, oh, it's the big sign that'll save me to Lisa's point? But how the big signs maybe sometimes subvert our own work in it. And what is it to seek the voice of God, to, to ask these identity questions, to go out into the wilderness, to say the honest thing, to follow that invitation to see all these kind of things that have been happening to Elijah and to do the work of it like i i think his i love the rawness of his question or statement here of like for those of us who are leaders how do we feel how do we work and work and work to be better to have the bigger sign the best sermon the whatever and we do Feel like it's our job like we end up with savior complexes and all of that and then we lament when the world doesn't shift and we're like I thought it was supposed to be different than this and it just feels so honest to say like my problem right now is that I'm not better um which isn't he like notice he's not saying that the problem is Jezebel He's not saying the problem is the threat he's had, his problem right now, that his the real thing underneath
4: is that he wishes he were better than his father's.:
1: What's the word for fathers? Um, fathers <laughs> Is it like, is it masculine, plural or just plural, parental? Sorry, just curious.: It's plural the people's bible does translate it ancestors instead of fathers and so i think it's actually can hold it's plural which means and it can encompass all the genders and that's helpful for me with this story to think about all the different people who elijah might be calling to mind um and in some ways like the hagar story really resonates in this story for Like you have Beersheba, but you also have the um, broom tree, which is like, that's also where Ishmael ends up. And so like, even thinking about like the history of that location, but the history of that, like the tree, the landscape is also resonant. So like, what is he calling to mind as he's landing here?
4: Hmm.
2: And I even think about like, if we're thinking about being better than our ancestors, like, isn't that the human wish? Like when I think about my kids, I want them to be better than me. <laughs> um, That's a part of what we
1: hope for. And so well, what- if, if I'm a jerk, I think I'm better than everybody. Like, all <laughs> like I'm doing better, like, right. Like in some ways, like, oh, we're doing so much better. Like we're not mm-hmm. doing that anymore. Like to be, <laughs> to be less kind stuff. I was just being very honest. <laughs> like. Yeah. I'm less racist than my dad. Like in some ways, like that's the things you do. Like you say, like, that's the, I'm doing better here.
2: Right. And so what if a part of what he's reckoning with is actually hitting that moment of like, oh, maybe I'm not better.
1: And maybe maybe that's, maybe what? Maybe I'm not less racist than my dad.
2: Well, and to say this again, then, is that invitation of what do I do with this seeing right now? Like, do I feel like if my ego crashes, I've lost everything? Or can I have a rebirth with a different ego mm-hmm. where I don't feel like I need to be better, where I just feel like I can be me and I can trust God and I can do the next thing? And how much weight has Elijah been putting on his shoulders to be big? Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's interesting because I think we often see the prophets as these fully formed human beings that are coming along because God's using the best of what God has available. And they've they must be so mature and so dynamic in their faith and so healthy. And yet I think what we're he's seeing here is kind of just the journey of being human. And it's coming from someone who's, you know, that most people would like put on the Mount Rushmore of like. You know Hebrew scripture people you know and and it's like well, we would never honor someone like that if they weren't like amazing all the time, and yet here is a broken person who's honestly like learning and growing, you know I think if we're so if we're gonna have empathy for people in these stories, like I think the empathy for Elijah is to like learn and grow and to recognize that like yeah, your mountaintop experience like wasn't the totality of who you are either. You know, it might've felt like it, but it really wasn't. Um, And you weren't ready for it. Maybe you were, but you really weren't like, and there's more to do here.
2: There's more to do here.
0: Or there's more to be here. You know, like it's, it's not about just what you do. It's, it's about who you are. And um, yeah, you got, you got more to learn about who you are.
2: Okay, and I love that when we think about then what happened next is not about what you do, it's about who you are because he says that pretty honest lament prayer. Then he lays down to sleep and an angel shows up and an angel does what?
4: Feed them. Gives them some food. And he eats and he drinks
2: and he lays down again and an angel shows up again and says, Eat some more. Eat some more. Interestingly enough, using them the same word, because the journey is too much for you. He said enough. It's the same word, Rob. And now he says the journey is too much for you. Eat this food. Go further. I love it. I just feel so much like, like sometimes we just need to eat some food and take a nap is like one of my mess. <laughs> What of takeaways from 1st Kings yeah. 19? And it's biblical. It's biblical. Sometimes <laughs> we just need some food and a nap.
3: We just so often as Christians think the answer is always to do more. Do more. Do more for Jesus. Do more for the church. Do more for everything. For your family. For your friends. For everything. And here the answer is like, just take a nap. Here's some food. Right. When we have like, let's be honest,
2: like our mountaintops are different than Elijah's mountaintop, but we've had some sort of mountaintop experience and we've probably had a letdown of some sort after that mountaintop experience. And often our response is, let's try to have a higher mountaintop. Let's try to have a bigger impact because that'll stick. And here, Elijah, instead of like doing the bigger and mountaintop, like he runs away or he runs towards his life, all the conversation we've had and takes a nap and eats some food. And then God says, actually journey even deeper and the whole trajectory shifts and it wasn't, he never has a big mountaintop again, actually his trajectory is going to shift into having a um, somebody to train. He's going to come off this next conversation with God and have Alicia come and join him. And that's going to be the next half of his life. Um, but there is a sort of um, push here to say the answer isn't another mountaintop. Stop yeah. going after those things stop trying to be better and bigger run towards your life find the smaller find the nap Then, for god
4: nowhere to go yeah you know it's interesting because i think often i
0: i wonder back at like how i remember certain biblical characters and and when my when i think about elijah my first thought is to is to go to the Mount Carmel moment. And it's not the moment at the end where he's obviously taken out all these priests of Baal, but it's that moment of like, such a confident follower that can pray down fire from heaven, like has all this trust in the face of all everyone around him, you know, thinking he's crazy. And like, that's the kind of faith we need to have is like that kind of faith. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but like, My first thought isn't of an Elijah that's been humbled, isn't of one who is desperate, isn't one who's so depressed that he wants his life to end, or afraid, or thinks that he's, you know, not cut out for what God has for him. Like, that is not who I have in mind. And it's that person, the humble one, the one who is faced the worst of who he thinks he is, who then can train the next prophet like it's not the one that was on mount carmel like and but yeah that's the one that like was always seen as so wonderful was this one that's so full of faith not the one who had their faith completely shattered um but it's the one who had the faith completely shattered that ends up you know doing some really beautiful work too
4: Mm.
2: and that's interesting when we think about sort of the trajectory of elijah and scripture so we'll you know that uh, um in the new testament john the baptist is said to be in the spirit and power of elijah john the baptist does these big things he's baptizing people in the wilderness he's eating locusts and honey and that sort of, and we know those stories and how many of us remember the stories in all of the synoptic gospels that's one of my favorites i believe it's in luke 7 um Matthew 11. I tried, like, I know these because I know that because what happens is John the Baptist ends up in prison and he sends his followers to Jesus and says, Are you the one we were waiting for, or should we wait for another? This guy who comes in the spirit and power of Elijah does all these amazing things, has a moment where he's like, Wait a second, is Jesus actually the Messiah? And how how can we remember those moments as a part of the humanity of Elijah, of John the Baptist, and, and then think about our own stories and say, we too are going to have those moments. And that's sometimes that's actually good. Sometimes we need to hit these points in order to face our ego. And sometimes they're just struggle, and God will meet us there too.
3: But... It's not just the mountaintops. Yeah. Although it will push back a little bit that he does the story kind of does take him to another mountaintop. Mm. But instead of being super public, this one's completely private, just between him and God. Mm. Ooh, what a way of saying it. Keep saying more about that. Well, because he ends up on the top of Mount Sinai at the end of this story, which or Horeb, um, but the same mountain. And ends up having this conversation with God up on top of this mountain. But instead of it just being this big, bold, like public moment where everybody sees you at the height, at his lowest moment, God actually takes him up to the mountaintop, but it's just between him and God. Mm -hmm. And so it's just maybe it's a different kind of mountaintop. But not the one that anybody else knows about.
2: Yeah, what are those private mountaintops that maybe aren't for other people to know about? That's sort of a push in our social media age where everything's always for public consumption.
4: Right.
2: Say sometimes we need something that's just us.
4: That's good.
2: So we're not Elijah. Um. Oh, I mean, maybe we are, or <laughs> in our own ways. But what do we? What do we take from a passage like this? What do we do with it? His name, by the way, did I ever say what his name means? I don't think I did. Um. So L is is for uh is a general name part. Way to name God. So Elohim is God's plural, El is God. So whenever El is in a name, it's God. And then Yah, when Yah is in a name, is for that specific name of God that the Hebrew people use that we translate um, based on um, Rabbi Nehemiah Ward-Love, who translates that living presence, um, because that honors that um, people in Jewish tradition don't say this name out loud. Um, but that's the name, it's, and the shortened form then is Yah. And so his name is El-Yah. So like God is Yah. God is this specific Hebrew name of God. So his, God, his name is that sort of strong name. As, as you were talking about, Jason, of like, I've got it. I'm confident in my faith. My name is God is Yah. Um, and the, the guy whose name is God is Yah has to run for his soul. Have some food, take a nap. And find God again.
4: Oh, it's
1: interesting. It feels like it's that thing of like you have to sometimes like hitting the wall is normal in faith, actually, like coming to a moment of like, I'm just done with the whole thing. But you almost have like, there's, there's a little bit of imagery there to remind us like, like, sometimes you do have to do that alone, because a lot of times the people who are with you try to fight for you to stay in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right like they get worried about you <laughs> like what and so like maybe dropping like maybe maybe it sucks to feel alone but actually the aloneness is what you need to come to terms to wrestle with this idea that this is part of the journey right. like don't be afraid of ending up at the end of it because that's not the end of it but like it's hard to have people with you in some of those spaces yeah. And you're not, you're not necessarily alone. (laughs) Like it's a little bit of a dance, but I just, it makes me feel like, I don't know that there's Elijah needed to figure out with God that God is that still small voice. And what is that?
2: What a great challenge for us to say, what is that work that is just ours to do where somebody else might sort of in, in, with all the best intents, try to encourage us and keep us from that deeper and deeper question. Like Elijah has to keep going deeper into what his questions are to really get this second mountaintop experience. And what is it to have the courage to keep going, to leave that servant or person behind and say, no, I need to go one day further in, to meet the angel there and to trust the angel once the angel says actually I need to go 40 more days. And then you need to climb a mountain.
4: And then you'll have the moment. (laughs) How long does it take to be ready to hear the still small voice? Yeah, I think that's one thing I'm taking away is it's really enticing to want to celebrate and even like I don't know, not model your life after, but like I don't know, there's
0: something about celebrating the Elijah on Mount Carmel, but what would it be like to to model your life after or to be appreciative of you know the Elijah on Mount Sinai and the work that it takes to to be there
4: um
0: and 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 was, at some level, I'm asking myself the question like, am I ready?" for that work
4: the answer is probably not i don't think i don't think elijah was either right
1: also maybe we all need to maybe some of us just need to be people who bring a glass of water and cake when people are resting Mm -hmm. (laughs) like as much as it's an angel
2: Angel's just a messenger. How can, we bring, how can we be people who have the courage to travel this far? And how can we also be the kind of people who see the travelers along the road and bring them some cake and some water and some rest?
0: This podcast is a partnership between 40 Orchards and Processing Faith. Forty Orchards invites people to wrestle through biblical texts using the ancient Jewish concepts of Midrash. In a Forty Orchards study, every question is safe, everyone is welcome, and every voice is valued. We believe there's room for all of us. No person and no question is off limits because we know that together we can expand each other's experience of what is sacred, whole, and good. You can learn more about Forty Orchards and sign up for a study by going to 40orchards.org. That's 40orchards.org. Processing Faith is a space created by Jason Steffenhagen for people to do exactly that, process their faith. It's not one thing, but more like a good recipe. It's like one part pastoral care, one part theological exploration, and one part wrestling with all the questions. You can learn more about Processing Faith and sign up for a free 45-minute session by going to ProcessingFaith.org. Com. Thanks again for joining us on
4: Searching Safe.